Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. Out in the countryside of Ireland, it is widely believed by many locals that haunted buildings act like magnets in attracting other spirits and supernatural beings to reside within them. There are items that can attract these unwelcome beings to the location. The unwashed clothes of a scandalous woman, religious artefacts that have been stolen or obtained nefariously, blood spilled in anger and even mouldy food or dirty crockery. The spilling of blood, however, is the most potently evil. And Lep Castle Island has all of that in bucket loads. Welcome to this week's episode, when we return to one of our most favourite countries in the whole wide world, Ireland. I'm Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rekovich, and this is the True Hauntings Podcast. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years, They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Well, welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, Anne. Oh, thank you, Renata. (laughs) Thank you for welcoming me to my own home. You're welcome. (laughs) And we are here for our next podcast, but we also want to have a chat about some of the things that have happened over the last week before we begin. Oh, there's been shenanigans. There has been. We we went to Melbourne. We did. (gasps) And we we ate lots of food. We did. Yeah, keto went out the door that weekend, or those three days. 
Mm -hmm. but we went to see Isaac Butterfield's show because as many of you know, we've been appearing in his YouTube series, Devil's Advocate, Mm -hmm. as his pet paranormal investigators. Mm -hmm. He likes to call us ghost grannies, but she doesn't like that. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) And it was great because we got to see his show and Mm -hmm. afterwards we had some of the fans recognise us. Mm -hmm. They even wanted us to sign their clothing. Yeah, I know. I can't can't get used to that. (laughs) Sorry. That's just a bit freaky. I had to stop and think, how do I sign my name for this? I I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we had a new experience. The cherry was popped on that one. Mm -hmm. But the show is fantastic and this is the first stop on his Australia-wide tour, which is going to take months because he's just on tour forever. But we actually got to enjoy Melbourne and get the opportunity to go and visit our wonderful friend Deb Robinson out at Geelong Jail. Yeah, and all her team. Oh, aren't they magnificent? Oh, wow, there's some good storytellers amongst that, that crew. Amazing, amazing. So we spent a couple of hours out at Geelong Jail and did, I guess, what we could call a private mm. walkthrough investigation. Yeah. And the guys were just so so amazing at allowing um, us to follow them around as they told the stories and showed us some of their most haunted areas. Yeah, and you can actually see that live feed that we did. I think that's on YouTube. I put it up onto YouTube. So go and look up the Anne and Renata on YouTube. It's our channel and you'll be able to spot that live feed from Geelong Jail and mm-hmm. you can watch what went down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but thank you, Deb. Thank you, the team. Thank you, Geelong Jail. And if you are going to Melbourne, it is worth taking that small trip out to Geelong. Twisted History, is that what they are? Yeah, Twisted History Tours. And visiting the jail, it is open during the day, but they will actually do a tour every night of the week Mm. with a minimum group of four. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, if you want a private experience, go out. We can thoroughly recommend it. And the other thing that happened, which was a little bit of a uh, shock to the system, was the Paranormal Awards. Yes. The inaugural Paranormal Awards. Now, there was a little bit of uh, spice leading up to this. Mm, There was a flurry. A flurry. (laughs) A fluster of a flurry. And, you know, we were nominated and we are so grateful to all our fans who nominated us and then voted for us. Yes, you guys are just incredible. And Australia did really well. Now, this was set up by an American group Mm -hmm. and Australia took out the most haunted location or the best best spot for doing ghost tours and that was Monte Cristo at Mm. Juni. Mm -hmm. Monte Cristo. Even though they thought it said June, but it was Juni. And then we also had our sisters from South Australia. Yes. Cag and Alison from Adelaide Haunted Horizon won the best YouTube series. Series, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then... No, 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 no. (laughs) We took out just a couple of awards as well. Mm -hmm. So the one that we were very excited for was the Australian Ambassador Awards for 2020, just recognising some of the work we had done internationally throughout the year and we really appreciated that. It meant a lot to us. Mm -hmm. And then we won. We won. What else did we win? Best team. Oh, that's right, best team. Best team for Frightfully Good. And when we talk about best team, It is all of our team, our whole team who are just super, super fantastic people. We can't do it without them every single week. So, yes, yay to our team, best team, frightfully good. And then, of course, there was one 
more, one more. And the accolade goes to Anrekovich, the best female paranormal investigator for 2020. Yep. Mm -hmm. I felt a little bit awkward about that one. Mm -hmm. Once again, this is nominated by the public and voted for by the public, so it is a really a popularity contest, I suppose, to a certain extent, but I suppose we we have to be good at what we do to to get put out there. So I am ever so grateful to all of those people who voted for me and to get that little nod. There are so many fabulous female paranormal investigators out there. Totally, And we all deserve. Yes. An award. Yes. I want a big trophy, please. But, but you know, one of the most important things, and we always say this, is that bringing the attention to female paranormal investigators is really important to us because we are both female paranormal investigators and it is time also to highlight what women do in this field. Mm-hmm. So congratulations, Anne. Thank you very much. And congratulations to all of those winners that won awards at this inaugural Paranormal Awards um, hosted from the American team. Yep. Not us. Not us. The American team. (laughs) Not us. (laughs) Anyway, we won't go down that path. No. No, Let's not go there. Let's go to the story of Lep Castle. On the 25th of November, 1915, two of our servants, knowing the master would be late and that I was driving that afternoon, had invited friends, two soldiers from the barracks at Beer, distant the other side six miles. They came rather late and my husband came home early, so the visitors had to be kept out of his sight in the lower regions of one of the wings, the priest's house, and were unable to be shown the centre tower, the very lofty hall. At 7.15, my husband and I went up to dress for dinner, my room in extremity of house from kitchens, his dressing room next door to me. Whilst dressing, I was startled by a loud yell of terror-stricken male and female voices coming apparently from the hall and ran out to see the cause. My husband was out ahead of me, I passed through the corridor of the wing and onto the gallery. On the gallery, leaning with hands resting on the rail, I saw the thing. The elemental and smelt it only too well. At the same moment, my husband pulled up sharply about ten feet from the thing and half turning let fly a volley of abuse at me, ending up dressing a thing like that to try and make a fool of me and now you'll say I've seen something and I have not seen anything and there is nothing to see or ever was. The last speech without a pause began waving one hand at the thing and stalking back to his dressing room still abusing me for trying to give him a fright and as he was speaking the elemental grew fainter and fainter in its outlines until it disappeared. He never made any inquiry as to the yell that called us both out and from that day to this he has not mentioned the incident to me. I heard from our servants that when we went to dress for dinner they had brought their friends just to show them the hall when all four of them suddenly seen and smelt the elemental 
looking down at them from the gallery. They all got such a turn that they couldn't help let out a ball, and then fled to the servants' quarters where all four were very sick. The next day, the two maids presented themselves to me with letters claiming it was necessary for them to immediately pay visits to their homes. They never returned to Lep. The Elemental. My goodness, one of those amazing stories from Lep Castle. And I know it's spelt Leap Castle, but the Irish way of saying it is Apparently, Lep Castle. Like Leprechaun. Yes. Yeah. Not Leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to just have a small talk about why it's called Leap Castle or mm. Lep Castle in mm-hmm. the first instance. And we will be interchanging Leap and Lep as we go through mm-hmm. because we're both uh, just a little bit tired because we had one of our tarot shows last night. So uh, we're a little bit foggy today. <laughs> so. Lep Castle was originally called something else that I'm not even going to even pretend to pronounce in Irish because I will just get it so wrong. But it translates into Leap of the O'Bannons. Now, according to legend, two of the O'Bannon brothers, and I'm going to get more into this as I get into the history, were having a contest to see who would be the leader of the clan. And so they decided that the only way to settle this disagreement was by a show of strength and bravery. So guess what they decided to do? Who knows with boys? They do like to do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So the brothers decided that they would jump off a rocky outcrop where now Lep Castle stands and see who survived. (laughs) What? (laughs) And the person that survived would be the chieftain of the clan. So that's why uh, we have this name of Leap Castle. Well, do you want to know something interesting? Castle. I have a different story. Oh, do you? <laughs> I do. Do you well, want me to tell you? Okay, go ahead. Tell me your your story behind the name Lep Castle. Right, so there was this great book that I discovered and it was called A Haunted Land, Ireland's Ghost by Robert Curran, or he liked to be known as Bob. So there's a couple of stories and one of them was about what you were talking about, that they had the the battle of who was had the longest legs and could jump the furthest. Mm-hmm. I'd just like to say that none of them could go up against my son who runs Newcastle Parkour. He can jump things that you just wouldn't believe. Anyway, there was a tradition that the O'Carrolls had seized the land and the O'Bannons were the Indigenous clan. Now, they refused to pay tribute to the new lords or the overlords, so the O'Carrolls made them an offer. There was a place on their newly acquired lands that had two great rocks that were sticking up out of the ground, out of an ancient earthen fort. That sounds like a better story, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And if the O'Banians could produce a champion who could leap between these rocks, they would excuse their tribute forever. If their champion fell, then the O'Banians must accept the O'Carrolls as their masters. The feat was agreed upon and the O'Banian champion did come forward and guess what happened? What? He missed. Mm-hmm. He fell to below and was dashed to pieces by the rocks. Mm-hmm. They must have been big rocks, yeah. but never mind. Yeah. But worse still, mm-hmm. these rotten O'Carrolls, geez, they're a bit bloodthirsty, 
went and slaughtered everybody there. Mm-hmm. Are you telling my story? Maybe. <laughs> All right. Nice, but that was the that was the story yes, about that, that's the alternative. the alternative to how it got its name. The alternative, like, yeah, yeah, and oh, there was a little bit more. Well, I don't know. Does this go into your story about how they used the blood? Mm, no, but can you go on to that after I've done my oh, story? Okay. She's getting okay. precious, All everyone. Right. Watch out! Okay. I can see the eyes rolling I, in the I, back I, of her I, head. Look. There's the line. I'm drawing it. <laughs> Don't cross it. No, like you ever do it to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dazzle me, dazzle okay. me. Oh, this is going to be a bit boring. No, it's not. It's a fabulous history. But we have to tell you a little bit about the history of Lep Castle because it is quite fascinating and it is it's a story of bloodshed between clans and between brothers and some of it sounds a little bit like... Game of Thrones. Or does it? Yes, it does. Mm. So my information has come from a delightful site and I tried to look up a number of different sites, but when you go into this history, because there is so much of it, it gets very bogged down Mm -hmm. with names and things. So Mm -hmm. I've tried to keep it as light as I can. And part of this comes from dailyscribbling.com, The Secret Life of Irish Castles, Lep Castle, Kingslayers, Priest Killers, Rapture and Flames. Oh, wow. Isn't what a, a great title. <laughs> oh, maybe something I'd read as a bedtime story. Yeah, I reckon. Now, it's thought that people have dwelt on the site of the castle since at least 500 BC and possibly back even further to Neolithic times. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around that here. Yeah, it is. But a lot of this information that we have comes from writings that are called the Annals of the Four Masters, which is amazing. And they speak of this castle, which, again, has this amazing Irish name, which translates to the Leap of the O'Bannons. Mm-hmm. And the Annals of the Kingdom of Ireland are also called the Annals of the Four Masters and they're chronicles of medieval Irish history. I'm sorry. I'm just being a really smutty high school student here and thinking every time you say annals that oh, yeah, you're saying no, annals. No, 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 no. I'm no, sorry. No. I'm just one of those ones. Now, this is crazy because the entries span from the deluge dated 2,242 years after creation. I after creation? Yeah, I know, I know. Right. Uh, to, oh, that's even before your birthday. I know, right. I've got it um, in. To AD 1616. And they were written in Irish and copies can be found at the Trinity College, National Library of Ireland, University College of Ireland, and the Royal Irish Academy. Next time we go, we'll have to go looking for that because we've been to Trinity College. Mm -hmm. Now, you can find um, this information online, thank goodness, and sort of go down the trip of that particular rabbit hole and find a whole lot more information. But certainly this stuff does exist and it's now apparently the book itself or the, the chronicles themselves, the originals, are kept in Switzerland. Oh, we'll have to go there then. Mm-hmm. So these others are uh, copies, mm-hmm. obviously. But fancy saying that the entries span from the deluge. 
2,242 years after creation. Who, who was a, right? Yeah, who sat down and worked that out? <laughs> I don't know. That's I don't know. a little bit of a stretch, I think. <laughs> so who were the O'Bannons? The O'Bannons were one of the sects who were paying tribute to the O'Carrolls, as you said, and it was the O'Carrolls who are said to have first built the castle around 1250 AD. Now, what is a sept? A sept is a division of a clan or family. So they were on the lands of the O'Carrolls and they were paying money to be there, so renting space. Yep. So the annals of the four masters record that the Earl of Kildare tried several times to seize the castle in the early 16th century, but the O'Carrolls beat him back under the leadership of Mulroney O'Carroll, known as the Great Mulroney. Oh, the Mulroneys. I know that lot. Mm-hmm. Mulroney was then succeeded by his son, Ferganon, who was murdered by the O'Malleys. So this is when this is this is when we get all of this. They all like to, to kill. Yeah. They're just so violent, they bloodthirsty. Were, they were, the Irish just don't like that at all. They well, were killing everyone. The main Ireland, the the mainland part, Northern Ireland. It's not that long ago where it was bloodthirsty, but. It's all settled now. Yeah, but these names, the O'Carrolls, the the They all uh, sound O'Malley's, very Irish, Renata. The Mulroney's. <laughs> Mulroney was succeeded by his son, Ferganon, who was murdered by the O'Mullies. His son, One-Eyed Tig, sought to succeed. Oh, sorry. One, was... one, one-Eyed Tig. One-Eyed Tig <laughs> sought to succeed the chieftainship. I'm oh, sorry, I got the giggles over so there. So he was not the eldest son. Obviously he had one eye. I don't know. I don't know. No, Renata, I think that might be referring to something else that they like to refer to as the one-eyed monster. No. No, No, she don't. God, this has gone down. This has gone down very badly today. So when we do the naughty and nice tarot show, guess which one of us is the naughty one? Mm So he was not the eldest son. This is Tyke. However, one of his elder brothers was feeble-minded and the other one, Thaddeus, was a priest. So Tyke took the chieftainship and ruled ruthlessly because the other two weren't worthy of that, obviously. And Thaddeus remained a thorn in his side. That's the priest. Tyke was not a man to let that continue too long in the history of his leadership. So the most common tale tells that Tyg allowed Thaddeus to use the chapel at Leap Castle to conduct prayer services. Then one day he decided that he didn't want Thaddeus around anymore, so he actually murdered him mid-prayer before a crowded chapel. That's dreadful. Yes. So that is why the chapel is called the Bloody Chapel. And we've been there. We've been there. It's very green at the moment, not much blood. There's Mm. lots of moss. It's not a large space at all. So it would have been just the elite of the family Mm. allowed into that prayer space. Yeah, And it's right at the top of these little... Stairs, very little stairs, and mm-hmm. I, you know, you you wouldn't think you'd get lost going up those stairs, but I did manage to. <laughs> I think I ended up in their bedroom at one stage. Oh, or other. that's right. There's a turn off. Yes. I didn't realise that door was because I thought the door was locked. I thought well, we can't go through there. I must have to go through here, and then I've ended up in someone's bedroom. And went, oops. <laughs> so he is said to have invited a clan from Monaghan, either the McMahons or the Omans to dinner at the castle. 
Right, and this is where it starts to sound like Game of Thrones stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So some of the stories say he was at war with them and this was his peace treaty. So he invited them in. Don't trust him. Mm-hmm. Then he invited them all in. And others say that they had been mercenaries in his service and they had come to receive their pay for all of the things oh, that they had done. I hadn't heard that one. Mm-hmm. So regardless of either or, their fate remained the same. They were slaughtered to a man and their remains dumped into the oubliette beneath the castle. So if you think of the Game of Thrones where the, the wedding feast. The wedding feast. Rob. Yep. This this is it. <gasps> oh. This is it. Do you think he might have got some inspiration from this story? Possibly. Oh, George Martin. Mm. So it was in 1552 that Tig went too far. Be, I, I thought that was too far. But yeah, I thought killing the priest mm-hmm. might have been a you know, bit of a red flag. Yep. So he, he was known to kill anyone in his family without even thinking twice about it if they stood in his way. So, you know, the, the story with Thaddeus and who who even knows what happened to the feeble-minded one who's probably, you know, pushed out of one of the... Maybe in the oubliette. <laughs> yeah. And he did this thing which was called breach of guest right. And if we go back to Game of Thrones, this is kind of mentioned that once you are invited as a guest into a home that nothing is to happen. I think that happens in Lord of the Rings too. Yeah. (gasps) So nothing is to happen to the guests and and nothing is to happen to the invitor. Anyone else that's listening to this, if you know some of those famous books and stories that they include that is part of the law, write it in the comments on our Facebook page on True Haunting. Let us know what they are. I tried to look up a little bit more information on guest right, but it kept on referring me to TV shows. Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently there was this thing that was associated with the fact that if you invited someone into your home, you weren't supposed to kill them. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, there you go. I think it also might be American Indian. I could be wrong on that. Hmm. We'll, we'll see. Oh, yes. So the thing that really pissed everyone off is that he decided to accept a knighthood from the English. What? Yep. Yeah, he decided to accept a knighthood from the English and that pushed That him. was too far, yeah, was it? That, that, <laughs> that pushed him too far over the edge with his kinsmen and they then aligned themselves under an O'Carroll renegade called Cahir and they slew Tyg. Aha. Uh-huh. So Cahir was in turn killed by the last Ferganan's sons, William the Pale. <laughs> I love these names. No, they're William just the so Pale. creative. So William was then murdered by the O'Connors and his son George was then killed by his cousin Mulroney, son of Tyg. Oh, gosh, it gets... Twisted, doesn't it? I think we John's, need one of those family trees up yeah. again so I can keep track of it all. So John's brother Charles killed Mulroney and became chieftain. So the story about the McMahons is also associated to Charles as well as to Tyg, and some point to it as why, after 18 years of rule, he was murdered. So his son John succeeded him and became the legitimised ruler under Charles I. Awesome. Now John was a staunch 
royalist. And so after Parliament's victory, he was dispossessed of his castle, with it being given to a soldier in the new model army called Jonathan Darby in lieu of pay. So this is when the Darby family comes in. Mm -hmm. Now, what is the new model army? The new model army was founded by Oliver Cromwell and started in 1654 and disbanded in 1660 after the restoration. Restoration. And the difference with the new model army was that it was about a person's ability to fight rather than his status or political affiliations. So the new model army was very, very ruthless. And apparently I read in one of the bits of information that I found about it, it was that one of the leaders of the new model army was a butcher by trade. (laughs) So they really looked at battle. They got a good deal on sausages, maybe? (laughs) They looked at battle from a very strategic point and they brought in a whole lot of different ways to construct battle and they didn't use uh, knights in armour because it would stop the horses Mm -hmm. that they were battling with. Slow them down. Yes, and so they decided that they would use all of this leather, thick leather, so that the swords could not get through the leather Mm -hmm. and it made their attacks fast, which was what they were really well known for. That's that's going. And after driving through the landscape of Ireland, you wouldn't really think of it as a great place to do cavalry charges, would you? Mm. There's not a lot of places to hide. Flat ground or anything. No. It was quite beautifully mm. rugged. Mm-hmm. So the restoration saw it return to the O'Carrolls briefly, but it was due to some unknown political manoeuvring that it returned to the Derby family. Now remember, the Derby family was just a particular soldier who was given this property because they couldn't pay him. So Jonathan's son, also named Jonathan, was known as the Wild Captain, and. Also, there are some legends around him to say that he had hidden a great fortune somewhere in the castle. Yes, I've got stories about that. (gasps) We need to go back with a a metal detector. So he wound up being convicted of treason under James II, but fortunately for him, the glorious revolution intervened before his sentence of death could be carried out and William of Orange pardoned him, although there is a legend. William of Orange in New South Wales? No, no. No, Not the place near Dubbo? No, no. no. There is a legend that says that not before his long imprisonment had driven him too mad to remember where his fortune was hidden. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Uh Uh-oh, that's bad. I hope Sean finds it. So Leap remained with the Derbys for the next few centuries with several of the families becoming officers in the British Navy. There were many members of the Derby family who rose up through the ranks and became admirals. And another famous son of the Derbys was John Nelson Derby, nephew of Admiral Henry, who founded the exclusive branch of the religious society known as the Plymouth Brethren. Now, I wanted to get here just for a moment because this is really interesting. Well, she's got a smirk on her face there. It's like, I've got juicy gossip. The Plymouth Brethren. Now... This famous son, John Nelson Darby, is most remembered as the first preacher to formulate the theology of dispensationalism. 
What? Dispensationalism? Dispensationalism? Is it even a word? Yes. Now, that's the idea that the faithful will be bodily spirited away from the earth prior to the end of times. We know this as... The ascension. The rapture. Oh, the rapture. The rapture. Oh, Jesus, I'm not the up to a Sorry, Jesus. The rapture comes from the people that owned Lep Castle. Wow. Holy moly. Moly. Bagora. <laughs> so the last Derby to live at Lep Castle, Jonathan Charles Derby, arrived in Lep in 1880 and he was there to dispose of the tenants. <laughs> he wanted his money. He wanted bond. He wanted money. Lep Castle at that stage was an absolute wreck and the only way to get money back was to start charging rent from all of the people that were on the land. So he spoke of the debts incurred by both his father and grandfather and the long-term loans that had been dealt out to the creditors and he called them back. He said, we want this. Now, Jonathan was able to do this, but as a result, he raised the rents on his lands by 30%. Now, you can imagine how much that would be. 30% is huge. Yep, for all of those people. 30% made him less popular with the locals and all this. Any goodwill he had with the locals was long gone by 1922. Now, we've, we've got also some information about Jonathan's wife, Mildred, who was also a remarkable woman, and she was a writer, but she wrote under a pseudonym, a male pseudonym called Andrew Merry, and she wrote a very famous book about the Irish famine called The Hunger, and it's still actually cited by scholars today. So this is actually quite interesting that she would write she had to write as a man mm-hmm. and that it is still something that people go back to to cite. And this is one of the first times that the elemental is actually mentioned yes. in this particular book. Now, that the soundscape I did at the beginning of the episode was actually a letter that she had written to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was that particular lady. Right. So she was an ardent spiritualist and she encountered this famous elemental and she wrote about it in the Occult Review in 1909. And I just want to describe what she says. The thing was about the size of a sheep, thin, gaunt, shadowy. Its face was human, to be more accurate, inhuman. Its lust in its eyes, which seemed half decomposed in dark cavities, stared into mine. The horrible smell 100 times intensified came back into my face, giving me a deadly nausea. It was the smell of a decomposing corpse. So she claimed to see the creature in 1915 again, but it was a discovery later in 1922 that puts a final twist to the tale. And this is when workmen in the castle uncovered the entrance to the old oubliette. And within it were found the bones of the unfortunate McMahons, three cartloads full, according to the tales, and all lying beneath the feet of the unsuspecting Darbies. Do you want to know something interesting about one of the corpses they pulled out? There was a watch. There was they a found pocket a watch. watch on one of the skeletons, which but meant... They can't, I mean, a pocket watch from... Yeah. The... That means that somebody had been murdered 
far more recently yes. than everyone, the, the rest of them that are in there. Nobody the hidden in there. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yes. I mean, it's not really for the person down there, but... Mm. Now, um, I'm not going to go too much further into this because there's a lot more complications other than to say that there were several fires in Lep Castle, which meant that parts of the castle were burnt down over time. And also Mr. Darby, when he passed away, he was buried in a graveyard that's only a few miles from Lep Castle. So I'm wondering whether he is also one of the ghosts that may well haunt the place. Maybe. Lep stood empty for about 50 years until in 1972 an Australian historian Named Peter Bartlett, whose Aussie, mother Aussie, Aussie. was an O'Bannon, bought the place and began restoring it. So he was actually one of the descendants. Yes. That's so cool. Yes. He died in 1989 with the work unfinished and two years later the castle was bought by musician Sean Ryan. Who we've met. Yes, who lives there and is delicious. He is. In what he does and how he allows people to come through and is an amazing storyteller. And I'm not going to go any further. If you want to look up more history, go right ahead. But I think that is enough for us to lead into the ghostly part of Lipcast. Hi, I'm DeLon Grant. And I'm Francesca Ramsey, and together we host the podcast, Let Me Fix It. Each week, we explore something from the past, and then we pitch how to fix it for today. But forget about the past. Let's talk about the new show of the moment. DeLon, did you get a chance to watch the new Queenie trailer I sent you? How dare you send me this amazing (laughs) show that took me back to every messy breakup I've ever had. Thank God I had you through my 20s. Now, you could not pay me to go back and relive those days, but thankfully, we will be living as Queenie navigates her messy 20s. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Now, I have to tell the story before we start on the ghosts of you getting to see Lep Castle. Oh, yes. Because we had this trip, and this was in 2019, before the dreaded Rona, at the end of 2019, and we had a pretty tight schedule to get through what we wanted to get through in Ireland, and the only way we could fit Lep Castle in was that as we arrived from Australia at Dublin Airport, <laughs> true. we hired a car and we jumped in the car and it was just going on dusk, mm-hmm. just starting to get dark, and we drove like mad women. 
down. Like, like the clappers? Like the clappers <laughs> to get to Lep Castle before it shut. Yes. And we got there and I've got photos that hopefully we can put some of those photos up for you guys of the, the sun that's setting and mm-hmm. we get up into the castle and Sean lets us up there and he's he's getting older now. This is my second time at Lep Castle but this was your first mm-hmm. And wasn't it just glorious? It was amazing. It was amazing. So that was our first little taste of getting into Ireland and heading straight to a haunted location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, now let me get on to the stories of the ghosts of Lep Castle. Now, apparently... There are at least 19. 19. 19. Somebody said, line up, I'm going to count you. Mm -hmm. So we have quite a variety ranging from banshees through to a... Now, this this little thing here said she was a partially unclothed red lady. Now, I haven't seen any other reference in there to a partially unclothed red lady. Mm -hmm. I have heard of the red lady, Mm -hmm. but this one thought she was partially unclothed. Mm -hmm. And also a phantom light. Mm Mm-hmm. Not to mention The Thing. The Thing. Okay. So there have been quite a few TV shows that have gone in there, Ghost Hunters and Most Haunted. But did you know Hamish and Andy stayed there for a night? Did they? (laughs) They did. I think they just got eaten alive by gnats or something. So that that was quite a bit of fun up in there. But the first time I got to go was with Dave Schrader. And Mm -hmm. that was our first trip. And my husband. And Sean actually is a very famous tin whistle player. Mm -hmm. And he got his tin whistle out and played for us. Oh, it was glorious. His wife was Irish dancer, choreographer. Mm -hmm. um, I have a special place in my heart for Did you sleep there? No. No. It's not enough room left. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a bit of the place has been ruined mm-hmm. because I think during the troubles that um, the one of the the group set fire to it. Yeah, there were many fires that I read about through the the history of the castle itself and it took out a lot of what the castle used yeah. to be. Yeah. So I'm just going to go through some of the ghosts. Yes, please um, do. That relate. Now, the first, the other thing I had to go back to was where they were leaping from rock to rock to get rid of their taxes. Mm-hmm. Apparently they took the blood from that person that died and mixed it into the mortar that then made Leap Castle or Lep Castle on that very location where they tried to leap. Right. But that that timing wouldn't work out at all mm-hmm. <laughs> because you don't put a castle up that quick. No. <laughs> and no. have they saved the blood for that long to mix it into the mortar? But it, I'm sure it made Oh, a, it makes a good story. It's a really good story. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the bloody chapel. So the story I read said that the violent one that was attacking everyone walked up to the brother, grabbed his hair, ripped his head back and sliced his throat open and the blood splattered all over the altar. Mm -hmm. So not surprisingly, apparently there's a ghost of a priest up there. Mm -hmm. Thaddeus, priest Thaddeus. Yes, yes. So his apparition can still be wandering the bloody chapel and in the stairways below as well. Passers-by have also noted that they see phantom lights in the top windows and we stood in those windows yes and there is a road that goes past Mm -hmm. up the top there so it could be headlights it could be people with flashlights the feast Mm -hmm. of the the lep castle where they're all eating and drinking and they all got poisoned now i was told my stories they were all poisoned 
to avoid their payment. Apparently there is a few of the feast people that are still roaming the halls there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're not happy with the uh, fish not being cooked or the mm-hmm. chicken and they all got poisoned. Now, one of the most famous ones is the Red Lady. The Red Lady, yes. Now, a lot of this information I've got from a website called Castles uh, Today. So you can look these up if you want to have a look at them. So the Red Lady is described as being tall with long black locks, clothed in fluttering scarlet gown, and she is seen wandering around the castle brandishing a black knife. She was a beautiful maiden who was apparently captured during a raid by one of the O'Carrolls. Her beauty was such that not even the brutal O'Carrolls had the heart to kill her. But, of course, that did not mean that they would give her an easy life. Mm-hmm. They made her life a living hell. They took the lady back to Lep Castle. They kept her captive, and all the O'Carrolls took turns in raping her over and over until her sanity was almost gone. So eventually she did become pregnant. She became she gave birth to the baby who was her only solace and she loved that baby to distraction so you know what the O'Carrolls did Mm. they murdered the baby oh dear and she was just overwhelmed with the grief of the loss of her child and she used that black knife to take her own life Mm -hmm. and end her torment so she wanders the castle nightly hoping to find the men who killed the child what an awful awful story now we'll have a quick look at the oubliette. The oubliette. Oh. I looked down the oubliette. So did I. There's nothing down there now. No. But the way it's set up is that you've got to walk up a couple of steps and you look like you're going to go and look out the window, but then you turn to your right and there's this little alcove, a tiny little alcove that has this square hole that you can look down into. And they say that that would have been covered up with wood or something and it may have even been a trapdoor where they pulled the pin and you fell down to your death. Mm-hmm. Do you know what oubliette means? Oh, it's a French word mm-hmm. meaning lost or something. I yeah, can't remember. Forgotten. Forgotten. So they, as you said, they took out three cartloads. Another one I read said four four cartloads. But the people who study bodies yes. <laughs> said there was approximately 150 bodies down there. Wow. 150. Imagine the smell. That'd be hideous. Now, one of the other ghosts that we have is the wild captain. So you were talking about the fact that he had hidden his uh, Fortune. fortunes. Mm-hmm. Now, he was a staunch royalist, but mm-hmm. he was also known for his eccentric and immoral habits. Oh. He was a naughty boy. Mm-hmm. So he married one of the O'Carroll princesses and he was abusive to his wife and servants and tenants, infamous for his wild orgiastic parties that he held at Lep Castle. Wow. It's reminding me of the Hellfire Club. Yes, and I'm wondering whether he may have gotten some syphilis because syphilis tends to to send people mad. Oh, well done. So he was imprisoned and he was driven quite mad, but before he had that had happened, he had hidden the treasure that he had and he had two loyal servants that came and helped wall this up in a hidden room and then he murdered them so they could never say where this 
place was. Eventually he came out, he was crazy, couldn't remember where this was hidden, but there was some work that was done and they found two upright skeletons bricked behind a wall. So I wonder if this was the servants. Yes. Mmm. That's interesting. But apparently he is still wandering around Lep Castle looking for his treasure. On certain evenings when the energies favour, they can see him searching the grounds as well. Now, have you heard about the two children? No. So... This, now, this is where I get a little bit dubious. My head's still going around the treasure going, how can we talk to him? <laughs> Find let's, out where the treasure let's is. get our table and glass out. Yep. We'll talk the wild, Captain. <laughs> All right. So there is a ghost of two little girls mm-hmm. that have been seen playing in and around Lep Castle. This was a story from a psychic. Because mm-hmm. apparently Lep Castle has attracted psychics and mediums from, from all, over, all the world. over the world. Yes. And ghost hunters yes. like ourselves. Yes. So the story of this one says that they lived on the estate during the 1600s. Emily, who died when she was 11 years old, can often, often be heard laughing and singing in and around the gardens. One day she was playing on top of the castle battlements and fell below. Her body was dashed so violently to the grounds that parts of it are said to be scattered in all directions. Oh, dear. That sounds more like something glass would break and shatter everywhere. I can't imagine that a a body would go smash and there's a bit of her on the front gate and a bit down carrot patch and so that sounds a little bit too much. It was her younger sister Charlotte who found the body. She too died after suffering a debilitating illness. So she's described as having golden curls, wearing a green dress, has been seen dragging a deformed leg while she is looking for Emily. It is said that her leg was the reason she had not been playing with her sister on the battlements on that unfortunate day. So she must feel a, a bit of guilt at not being there with her sister. Mm-hmm. A resident from the gate lodge, now there's a little lodge just near the front gates where you come in, that on clear moonlit nights she often saw two young girls playing on the open grounds in front of the deserted castle. Mm. Now there's also an old lady with a lamp. No, actually, that's not a lamp, it's a limp. (laughs) Oh, I need more coffee. Yeah, I've made her lose her crap. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, are you sure this wasn't you walking around somewhere? <laughs> An old lady with a limp. All, All right. right. Okay. Apparently, at some stage, the castle was given to an old family retainer. That's mm-hmm. not something that puts your teeth back. An eccentric and reclusive old lady with a limp whose ghost has also been seen within the presence of the castle. Why did I just go French? I don't know. Oh, no. So now we're going to go on to a little bit about the elemental. And you, of course, read my quote. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Sorry. You'd never do that to me and take my stuff. Now, let's talk about Mildred Darby. Now, you said that she was a writer. Yes. But she was a gothic novelist. Ooh, right. Right, so. Oh, please let something be true. Please let something be true. Um, 
she also used to regularly perform seances within the castle walls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the, 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 legend that people are thinking now is that Mildred or Millie, the supernatural practices awakened the powerful elemental presence, which to this day is the darkest and fiercest entity which haunts Lep Castle. Were you told about the elemental by Sean? Mm Mm-hmm. You were. Yes. And you know where we went up the stairs to go to the bloody chapel? Yes. If you looked around the corner, there was the stairs that went down and there was a door that was there and it, it had do not enter right. under any circumstances. So they keep that locked off. There's actually a good story in here as well about some people who were buried down under the, the castle. Okay. All right, I'll let you go. Keep going. Oh, thank you. So another popular theory on the elemental is that it was summoned by the Druids even before Lep Castle was built and it was summoned to protect those sacred lands that were there. Because remember I was saying at the very beginning it was an an ancient tomb or sacred space before you rudely cut me off. Sorry. (laughs) I read a little bit uh, about the Druids. So have you got the story about the Druids coming in and giving some information about about Oh, no, please do. No, just this one interesting fact. They did bring two Druids in to try and connect with that part of the story and the elemental. And the one thing that this particular piece of information that I had told me, which I found quite amusing, was that the Druids burped all the way through the time that they were there. What? They burped and they did (laughs) this specifically so that the elemental wouldn't attach to them. Well, there you go. Take there you a go, ladies soda. And gents. Take a soda with you when you go investigating in the future. A coke. Yeah, just have a little sip on that, belch away, and you will get rid of all those nasties that want to attach to you. I know. Oh, we have to crazy? do a TikTok on that, Renata. How to get, make sure entities do not attach to you? Burp. Oh, I wish I could dig one up. Maybe the boys could put a sound effect in for us. Dear. So another theory states that the elemental was not reawakened by Mildred. It's not her fault with her seances, but it was a huge release of emotional energy linked to the spirits in the oubliette upon the discovery of their bodies because it was these guys that Mm -hmm. found the oubliette in the bodies. Yes. So thereby disturbing that grave site really that they've released that energy and that's what woke up the elemental Mm -hmm. that was beneath the castle i do remember reading that as well yeah so the other person that saw the thing was a guest and they said that it's a man-sized figure with what looked like the skull of a sheep as its head and a shaggy black third body with two great paw-like hands. They weren't attacked on that occasion, but the guest commented on the creature's terrible reek. Mm -hmm. With the druids as well, the local myths dispute the theory that druids summoned the entity, saying that the elemental is the spirit of an ancient O'Carroll who died in the castle from leprosy. Mm -hmm. So there's another one. This is said to be the reasoning for the decomposing facial features and the appalling stench that accompanies the presence of the spirits. That sounds sounds more logical as hauntings go. Yes. 
<laughs> so to speak. So there is also reports of poltergeist activity. As you were saying, in the 70s, Lep Castle was purchased by an Australian, Peter Bartlett. And of course, they start doing renovations. He spent 15 years restoring the the castle and they had a lot of poltergeist activity which just means noisy ghosts throwing things around at one point he even contracted a white witch to drive the spirits out of the castle the witch claimed that spirits had vowed not to cause any more trouble but insisted on staying at the castle which was their home fair enough there was also another little bit of a theory that it's an extremely haunted place because some say that Lep Castle stands on a spot where a number of ancient ley lines intersect. Mm. Now we hear more and more as we go through these stories and this research about ley lines and these energy points and that a lot of historic and very spiritually meaningful buildings and events happen on these significant lines. So that's interesting. That's an interesting point. Yep. And there is another sort of theory that there was a bit of a curse on the O'Carrolls. I wonder why. So a lot of them died from what they called the creeping plague, which was a wasting disease, which led to a slow and lingering death. John O'Carroll died most horribly from one of these ailments, and it was referred to as bloody flux and a pox. Ew. The pox. And the reason they think that they were cursed is because they destroyed several prehistoric sites and cut into a large ancient earthworks to build the castle. And, of course, all the locals are like, no good, no good will come of this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, now that they've disturbed the sacred place, which is the reason why they've got an elemental that's upset. Yes. But it was only seen in the 1920s, but mm, who knows. So the, the renovations that took place were by the Darbys who wanted to add on extensions to the basic tower house, and they built wings and more rooms, another chapel because at that stage the bloody chapel had been shut up but they had trouble with the builders because the builders were complaining that they could hear anguished screams of Edmund Fay soldiers coming from below the ground level at night children could be heard crying somewhere from within the depths of the castles in one bedroom guests were sometimes woken by the terrifying spectre of a tall female And this is the one that was dressed in the red gown, so this would be our red lady, her right hand raised threateningly and a hellish fire burning around her head. So this one doesn't have the black knife. She's Mm. got the red fire around her head. Uh, There's also a phantom monk. There must be (laughs) always a phantom monk. Who who roams the corridors. A little old man of antique garb, green cutaway coat, knee breeches and buckled shoes. Hang on. That's a leprechaun. That's a leprechaun. (laughs) It is. That is a leprechaun. What are they going on about? So apparently he is also seen. Footsteps are heard throughout the building. Mysterious cloaked figure often prowls the grounds. That's ghost hunters. They're just trying to get in and hunt ghosts. (laughs) That's true. And then I'm, I'm now going to bring it up to the, the present day because as we know that it, it is quite popular with Ghost Hunters. Barry Fitzgerald. Do you remember Barry Fitzgerald from Ghost Hunters International? Yes. He's, yep. he's our Irish Irish correspondent. I've had the joy of meeting Barry. Yes, yes. And he is delightful and his knowledge of Ireland and all the, the 
mysteries, just astounding. He's written some great books. So he declared that Lepp Castle was the most haunted place he'd ever visited. They'd set up equipment in the bloody chapel and before it even started, became aware of something big, dark and bulky watching him from another room further down the back. The shape quickly moved away as he himself moved towards it because that's what a good ghost hunter does. Yes. They go towards the phenomena. Mm-hmm. Uh, the normals run away. His sound crew also heard odd voices talking close by even though they were in the chapel by themselves. Finally, they reported a noise as though chains were being dragged across the floor of the room. Mm. And we know that it's a dirt floor up there now. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So then we get to the Ryans who moved in, the gorgeous Sean Ryan. Now, they were plagued by freak accidents as they were trying to renovate this castle. One of them was a broken kneecap that delayed the restoration. Ouch. So then they got back into the renovation, and this time he ended up with a broken ankle. But they are not deterred. They even had the christening of the newborn baby that they had up in the bloody chapel. Mm-hmm. They christened their baby up there. I think that's beautiful because they're bringing a good energy back into the castle to negate all that negativity. That's true. Um, did you, when you were up in the bloody chapel, did you feel anything? No. Neither did I. No. Nope. It, it's actually beautiful looking out over the countryside there mm-hmm. um, and it's glorious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd love to go back at one stage when more of that area would have been renovated to bring it back to what it may have looked like. I think when you enter a space that looks like what it is supposed to be, it gives that air then of, you know, the the, the type of hauntings that you would imagine. So it, it, it tweaks your imagination to be in a different time. When you yeah. sort of go in and it's just all bare yeah. and there's a dirt floor and there's moss and stuff growing everywhere, you've got to really work hard to try and look at it or imagine it being what it used to be. Yeah. I'm going to leave the last words to Sean. He says that he is aware of the ghosts that haunt his home but says they do no harm to him. In fact, his daughters used to play with the two ghostly girls who they can see very clearly. Despite the alleged curse that is said to hang over the fortress from the days of the Banyans, Sean and his family are happy there. Mm. And it's it's a beautiful place. I think anyone going to Ireland should take a drive to Lip Castle and, and go cheap as chips to get in there and, and yeah. have a look. Yeah. We, we actually made a little bit more of a donation to him because it was just so cheap to and he lets you wander through and have a poke around, stay as long as you like. But now we have to get to the, the meat and potatoes. We, we do know the Irish love their potatoes because every meal we had served over there had potatoes done three different ways. Is this a true haunting? I'd like to think there are parts of this story that lend themselves to it being a true haunting. Considering all of the bloodshed and everything that has happened over the hundreds of years that Lip Castle has stood on that spot, I do think a lot of what happens is residual. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go with the possibility of residual hauntings occurring. And because people are going in there and retelling the same stories over and over, it just sort of keeps that 
residual energy alive and mm-hmm. being fed so that replay can keep happening. I personally had no paranormal experiences there at all. I thought the place was glorious. I think that maybe the Gothic writer Millie may have had something to do with some of the stories that have come out from there and that the Irish do love a good yarn and that maybe some of that has added to it. But I I can't say it's a true haunting because I personally didn't experience anything and there's not a lot of reports really that are current, mm-hmm. apart from Barry, I would love to do an investigation in there and oh. actually try to capture some evidence. In a heartbeat. Yeah. But, yeah, I would probably say if if anything it would be residual, mm-hmm. but it's a great place to visit. Mm-hmm. And you should go. So thank you for joining us on this week's episode of True Hauntings. Wherever you are listening, please make sure that you have subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And also you can find us now on TikTok, Anne and Renata, on Facebook, Anne and Renata Frightfully Good. And we personally want to thank all of the people who download this podcast every week and who send us fabulous messages that they fall asleep listening to the podcast or that they wait with bated breath every Thursday for the podcast to come out. It just brings so much joy to us to know that you are all listening. Please share it with your friends. The more you can share, the more we can expand what we do um, with this particular the podcast don't forget to leave a review and uh, we're going to see you next week on the next episode which i can't remember where it is it is the exorcist <gasps> the exorcist yes. oh i'm excited for this one thank you everyone for joining us and tune in for next week's episode see you on the dark side bye for now thank you for listening to this episode of true hauntings If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.